Warning, All Things Crime is a true crime production that may contain violent or disturbing material. Viewer or listener discretion is advised. Right. You know, part of uh, uh, one tool of racism, a very powerful tool of racism, is exploitation. And, uh, and you, hit it, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, they take the image of someone being poor, being a person of color, and they put that image against a big buff police officer with a gun and a badge, and they send it out to the public. And, and, and that's all they see. You know, how can this poor homeless person hurt somebody? And then you got this police officer policing somebody because they're homeless, which is an absolute uh, uh, falsehood. In my area, you know, it's not a crime to be homeless. It's not a crime to be paranoid schizophrenic. It's not a crime to be bipolar. But when you're the boots on the ground and you've been there for 23, 24, 25 years, like I have, you recognize and understand that no, I'm not here to criminalize someone because they're homeless, but I recognize that left unchecked, there's a criminal fallout within the homeless community that does a lot of damage. Dion, welcome to All Things Crime. Hey, how's it going, Jared? Good to hear from you. It's going fantastic. I appreciate you coming on today. No, no problem at all. No problem. Glad to be here. Yeah, for my listening and viewing audience, this is Dion Joseph. This guy has done it all. I'm, he's been in law enforcement for 25 years. Public speaker, which I knew just based on watching some of your videos. And you've been working in the LA metro area for a long time, especially Skid Row and He's written a book called Diary of a Skid Row Cop. So I first saw you on LinkedIn, I don't know, a year ago, something like that. And I've uh, just kind of been uh, stalking you ever since, man. <laughs> yeah, but just watching some of your videos and uh, one of the things that has impressed me the most about you is not, not only the fact that you're a law enforcement officer and I appreciate uh, your service, but also the fact that you can just turn the camera on and talk for five or six minutes about a, a, some subject that you're passionate about and just be able to go, man. And I'm like, this guy has to have some pretty amazing speaking training to be able to do this because just absolutely amazing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Well, uh, thank you. Well, the training comes from uh, being a senior lead officer. That's my job to talk to people. Uh, you know, I was never really a great speaker in the past. Uh, you know, but, uh, you know, I don't like the cameras and stuff like that. But then when you're talking to the public, you kind of have to put your fears away because if you don't tell the truth, someone else is going to tell it for you. And I don't want anybody telling our narrative anymore, or at least mine. Uh, and that's why I do public speaking. That's why I wrote two books. First one, Diary of a Skid Row Cop. And the second one, which is a two volume book about my life called uh, Stepping Across the Line. This is volume one. I had to let the world know not just what we do, but who we are so we can stop the vilification of police officers and get back to the basis of uh, getting criminals off the streets to make things better for the public. Not to do things to the public, but to do it for the public. And uh, that's why I started speaking out. And I, and I got better over time with it. That's all. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, I'll tell you the I, what you do and uh, the whole reason that I started this podcast or video cast, they are parallel, man. They're, they're exactly alike because I, I work for a company called MVAC Systems. We do uh, DNA collection and, and it's a system, a machine that collects DNA 
where swabbing can't. And I'm sure you're, you're highly familiar with crime scenes and stuff and how they process that. Right. Over the years that I've been doing this, and especially in the last, I don't know, four or five years, especially, it just seems that the number of vilifications and the number of people that are that have taken like and I just watched your video that you made I don't know an an hour or so ago and I thought your point was spot on where you were Mm -hmm. saying that you know the scapegoating of police officers has to stop and I I don't know why they've picked police officers to be the villains in in all of the bad policies and everything that's going on right now but like you said it has to stop because Frankly, that that society does not realize how bad things are, even as bad as things are now. And it doesn't matter where in society you could take the worst, like Skid Row, like where you work. And if you take police officers off the street and in this Mm -hmm. whole defunding movement, it'll Mm -hmm. get infinitely worse. Well, yeah, uh, every movement needs a villain. I think we all can agree that the most evil man in the 20th century was Adolf Hitler. No one can deny or dispute that. Uh, Me saying this is not giving this bastard a compliment. It's just being honest. Uh, He understood human nature like nobody's business. He understood if you want to galvanize people, you don't, for any cause, right or wrong, you don't do it using love. You do it using hate. Uh, The one man who tried to do it using love, uh, guess what happened to him? Dr. Martin Luther King. Uh, Someone shot him in the neck while he was standing on the balcony. But Hitler did it very simplistically. He played on people's emotions and frustrations of where they were. And what he said was, tell a lie, keep it simple, and repeat it over and over and over again until everybody believes it. One of his lackeys says, tell a crazy lie one time, nobody's going to believe you. But if you say it a thousand times, everybody's going to believe you. Every movement needs a villain and tag law enforcement is it. Now, once again, I'm not sitting here saying that law enforcement officers are perfect Every profession has a negative exception, uh, but unfortunately our detractors are masters at hyper-focusing on our cherry-picking incidents and uh, making it the whole of what we are. And they say all cops are racist, all cops are racist. And when you say that, uh, unfortunately, you end up tying the hands of the honorable rule of law enforcement and you end up hurting uh, uh, the very people you say you wanna help. And unfortunately that's people of color or who are living in very marginalized communities. So they're using that tactic very well, you know, uh, and it, it's working. And, uh, and from what I see, uh, they're going to pull a genie out of a bottle that they won't be able to put back. And uh, I remember the bad old days and I can assure you they're coming back. And I wanna be wrong. I'm one of those guys who I wanna be wrong. And I hope they get their way and things work out. And I'll be the first one to post a video. You know, Deion Joseph's an idiot. I was wrong. I spoke too soon. But I've seen this episode before. Uh, we, we cannot allow this to continue. Well, all you have to do, frankly, is look up at Minneapolis. And they, I think they, out of the entire country, they were the first ones to kind of actually defund the police and right. start um, kind of the mass exodus out of whether, whether it be layoffs or uh, retirements. But right. The police, the police department, my understanding is the police department's at like 60, 70% of what it should be. And amazingly, crime spiked. Who could have possibly guessed that was going to (laughs) happen? And and, and then all of a sudden, the the very city council that was screaming and yelling about defunding the police and replacing them with with, uh, social workers, you know, de-escalation type people. And all of a sudden, they're they're allocating millions of dollars to beef up the police agency again. Right. And it's unfortunate. And guess who called for the police to come back? Uh, marginalized communities of color. They're listening to the loud, small voice. 
you know, the voice that's dominating the microphone right now because it's about career survival for a lot of them. You know, this is where everything's going. This is where the money's going. And these people now have power to get me removed from seats. So instead of thinking about their constituents and their safety, they're thinking about being part of the whole woke culture, woke narrative and being uh, the acceptable narrative and uh, keeping their jobs. And unfortunately, people are dying as a result. And uh, it's really heartbreaking. I, as I said in a video I posted earlier, uh, I just had two homicides in three days where I work. Uh, if you would have seen uh, the young lady who I saw uh, uh, catch a bullet for something she didn't deserve and the look on her face, you know, and, and the frustration of seeing video after video and talking to officers all across the country who are saying it's out of control and we can't fix it. And then to watch the same politicians, it's not just happening in Minneapolis, it's happening in lower forms all across the country where they make policies to tie your hands, take away your resources, change the laws to give criminals the upper hand. And then when their policies clearly fail, they call chiefs of police, commanders, captains to the table and say, why aren't you doing anything about it? And I try to tell the general public, we are, we're doing the best we can. They said they didn't want violent criminals out where it seems like every violent criminal I arrest is getting out the next day. Uh, it, it's just really uh, uh, a disheartening situation for the entire country, uh, especially for big cities across the country. Yeah, I'm not sure how you guys are, are well, and, and that's why morale is so low. Other, uh, most officers are not as vocal as you are, to be honest. And uh, I wish they were, because there's nobody that can talk with the same passion and the same understanding as guys like you, because you're down in there. You're actually working with these people that are being, like you said, being affected the most by these policies. And to me, it's the, the saddest thing you can you can have is the, the already marginalized of society are the ones that are always going to receive the brunt end of the worst part of this because uh, criminals don't automatically go into the neighborhoods of some of the Congress people that are that are in no. Washington DC. They go straight back to where they were originally arrested. And yeah. all of a sudden, now that there's no repercussions, mm -hmm. they just have free reign of the, of the area. And, and the, it, it actually, I think it, it actually emboldens them. I'm Mike Morford, and I've been researching the Zodiac case for years. Zodiac, just the name. It sounds sinister. It inspires fear. The fact that a serial killer would give himself this moniker is disturbing. He would go on to taunt police by sending letters and codes to newspapers for years. And the attacks, they were something else altogether. If you were a young couple in a secluded area, you could easily be a target. And it wasn't just shootings on dark lovers' lanes. Zodiac would even attack with a knife in broad daylight while wearing an executioner-style hood. After a while, Zodiac changed tactics, and even lone cab drivers weren't safe. The Zodiac killer terrorized the San Francisco Bay Area and then vanished, but he left a lot of clues behind along the way. Clues that we're going to examine closely on the new podcast, Zodiac Speaking. New episodes of Zodiac Speaking come out every other Saturday starting March 13, 2021. Subscribe today wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, uh, I, for the last 15 years, it's been my goal to really try to educate the public 
in, in uh, at my job, uh, I, at the time I had, you know, the freedom to really bring in college students. A lot of co- this, a lot of this stuff starts on the college campuses where they're being uh, fed one narrative. And we had some really wonderful professors who wanted to give their uh, students another side. That doesn't happen anymore. But years ago, I've taken out 3,500 college students and I spent about two hours with them. And in two hours, I completely erased two semesters of indoctrination. And uh, through telling them the truth, one example is I'll show them a map uh, of the area I work. And in my area, there's like five different areas within my whole division. And I show them the top portion of my area where there's a few burglary from motor vehicles. I show them the west portion where there's some thefts. I show them the east portion where there's some car break-ins. And then the lower portion where there's a couple of GTAs. And then I'll show them the center where I work, Skid Row where there's so many dots on the map where you can't even see the white of the map. And I asked those college students to come up one by one and say, okay, right here, this area accounts for 40 to sometimes 45% of all crime consistently throughout the year. It accounts for 50 to sometimes 60% of all the murders that occur in this whole uh, 4.5 mile radius that we work. Okay, I'm gonna ask you, where would you put those resources? And these are woke college students, right? And each one of them came up and pointed to the center of the map and said, we put all those resources right there. And then I would ask them the question, are you a racist? And of course, they would be offended. No, of course, I'm not a racist. But you know, about 85% of the people that live in that community are African-American. Why are you down there with 50 officers and arresting so many Black people? Well, that's not why I put them there. And I say, stop. That's not why we put them there either. (laughs) We put them there because the data drives us there when we're averaging 20 to 30 crimes of violent crimes a week in one particular area it doesn't make sense to put all of our resources in chinatown uh see there's this whole theory of equity whether well, there's only five cops in chinatown there should only be five cops in skid row but that is ridiculous you put the resources where you're bleeding the most so you can stop the bloodshed and these are the variables these are the uh, variants that don't get added into the equation of equity and policing uh once again i'm not where I am, uh, uh, and people aren't in the uh, cops aren't in the south side of Chicago or Baltimore or New Orleans or Houston because of the color of people's skin. We're there because if we're not, people die, and that is a fact. And that that that's not racism. No, in fact, I I almost think it's more racist to not put the resources where they belong because absolutely then the people that are actually there are the ones that are that are suffering. To not help people that are suffering. Uh, especially if you're, I don't know, to me, it's this whole racism, reverse racism. It's part of the, what do you call the culture where the politicians are using the suffering of other people to further, further their, further their agenda. And to me, it's, it's the worst type of, of uh, politicians because it's like, you know what, do things for the entire community, but most importantly, focus on the area that needs the most help and right for your area obviously if you're able to take a map and look at it and just say yep that little center right there is where 85 percent of the crime happens that's where 85 percent of the resources need to go right you know part of uh, uh one tool of racism a very powerful tool of racism is exploitation and uh, and you hit it you hit the nail on the head uh they take the image of someone being poor, being a person of color, and they put that image against a big buff police officer with a gun and a badge, and they send it out to the public. And, and, and that's all they see. 
you know, how can this poor homeless person hurt somebody? And then you got this police officer policing somebody because they're homeless, which is an absolute uh, uh, falsehood. In my area, you know, it's not a crime to be homeless. It's not a crime to be paranoid schizophrenic. It's not a crime to be bipolar. But when you're the boots on the ground and you've been there for 23, 24, 25 years, like I have, you recognize and understand that, no, I'm not here to criminalize someone because they're homeless, but I recognize that left unchecked, there's a criminal fallout within the homeless community that does a lot of damage. I always say this. I said, it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, everyone needs to be held accountable. Uh, what happens when the super rich aren't held accountable? We have Enron, we have scandal, we have people losing their life savings and elderly who are now having a job at McDonald's. You know, that's what happened when rich people go unchecked. What happens when the other extreme is left unchecked? We have Skid Row and it metastasizes. We have the South Side of Chicago, Detroit, and it metastasizes. So we're using the wrong medicine for a disease and, uh, and we're seeing the effects of it. Where I work, uh, we just hit uh, 300, we're over 300 homicides and we're just into, uh, uh, we had last year, we had 300, over 300 homicides. And we hadn't seen numbers like that since the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. And once again, that's because of this narrative that's missing some very important key points uh, that would make it make sense to the average person, to the college student, to the po new politician who thinks they're going to change the world through a very, very flawed ideology. Well, again, I, you, you talked about Dr. King earlier and, you know, how, how amazing were some of his policies and he was just trying to get things out there say you know what stop looking at the differences of what people have and look at their actions right and right. if we base everything actions say i don't care what you say i don't care what you look mm -hmm. like i don't care what you say you're going to do i care what mm -hmm. you do absolutely I mean, just not by the color of someone's skin but the content of the killer character and what I'm seeing right now is uh, even a lot of my uh, fellow white officers, you know, and these guys I've worked with for 20 years, uh, they're really caring. They really want to do the good job, but they're being judged by the color of their skin or, or me, I'm being judged by my uniform. Forget my character. And that's a really uh, bad way to lead initiative. Uh, you know, once again, I'm not uh, denying that there's a negative exception. Look, you're look, talking to a man who reported uh, two acts of misconduct on my job. And I didn't bat an eye. Look, there are there is a negative exception, but when we focus on that, we cherry pick on those negative exceptions, and, and we paint the whole honorable rule: seven hundred thousand men and women were brought and use us as some kind of catalyst for a movement. Once again, we we're already seeing the fallout of that, and it's already starting. And I just haven't seen one politician who was brave enough to say. I think we're getting this wrong. Let's pull back a little bit. And because everybody needs to be at the table, police officers, uh, firefighters, mental health workers, especially for the things we deal with. Where I work, I deal, there's a high percentage of individuals struggling with uh, uh, mental illness. Now, once again, I told you, mental illness is not a crime. I'm not going to criminalize you because you're bipolar, parent or schizophrenic. But the variable our advocates and politicians leave out is that when their mental illness goes unchecked and they end up self-medicating on crack cocaine, methamphetamines and spice and hard drugs like that. That's when their problems metastasize and they become, they, they, they grow a hundredfold. And that's when a bipolar person or paranoid schizophrenic becomes a police problem when they're hurting themselves or even worse, which happens often, they're hurting other people. They're hurting other people. And this is a reality that doesn't get talked about because they're a, I guess they're a protected class. We can't say the truth about a protected class. 
But the laws need to change. And we're the front line. So now the, what's, the, what's the saying now? Oh, we need to send mental health workers. We've done that before. In 2014, uh, I was the catalyst for an uh, operation where they had police officers and mental health workers and DPS workers and uh, uh, elder abuse workers working side by side. Okay. First, they tried to keep the police out based on that false narrative that we were the bad guys. And guess what? The first day they went out, they were only able to get two people into the programs. That's ridiculous with all the resources they had. So the next day, me and three of my partners says, we're going to bombard this thing. We're going to be a part of it no matter what. And we joined those agencies and we were able to get 17 people off the streets. Why? Because we were the first responders. We know where the most vulnerable are. We know who's going to snap at any minute. The only thing tying our hands is the law. So uh, they recognize that. And another truth is a lot of these mental health workers will not even approach these individuals when they're in such an agitated state of delirium. They're going to call us first anyway. So they're misleading the public about uh, uh, our capabilities and the capability of mental health workers. I, of course, I 100% agree that the system needs to change and the mental health workers need to be proactive, more proactive. But there's also another reality there that uh, uh, when they reach such a, uh, someone struggling with mental illness reaches a certain state, like where I work in Skid Row, uh, it's dangerous to send somebody out there with a guy swinging a bat in the middle of an intersection talking about he wants to kill everybody and he's on meth. Thank you for listening to All Things Crime. We are so grateful for all of our listeners. If you enjoyed this, please give us a positive review so other people can find it as well. Have an amazing All Things Crime Day.